0: This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, Peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitano, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, Hey, peers, and welcome back to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We know happiness doesn't come from money, but businesses do. And without capital, most startups don't get a chance to start. Enter to today's guest, Sarah Chen. Sarah is a venture capital aficionado who can drop a six figure dollar amount into Excel and mean it. As the co-founder of the Billion Dollar Fund for Women, Sarah is working towards mobilising $1 billion of funding into female-founded companies. In today's episode, she's telling us how. In this heartwarming interview, we also cover accidental feminism, the importance of critical thinking, and how to build a community to help you achieve your goals. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, welcome Sarah. Sarah, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today.
1: As am I. Thanks for having me.
0: Amazing. So, you know, you and I recently connected over LinkedIn and when I looked into you and all of the amazing work you're doing in the VC space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: No, of course. I mean, what you're doing, as I said early on, Michelle, is so important, you know, to represent the voice of millennials and the generations after us. I think there's such a unique power that we young people bring to the world. And it's important for us to continue to have our voices heard, Um, you know, beyond the unfortunate, sometimes negative washing that we get with uh, being millennials or Gen Y, Gen Z. So glad you're doing this and glad to be part of it
0: amazing look so for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do tell us a little bit about yourself
1: sure so um michelle did you want me to go way back or are we talking just right now oh let's go way back <laughs> oh
0: no you know feel, feel free but Let, let's go deep
1: Oh, uh, we're going deep in this one. So uh, you might be regretting this. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm a Malaysian girl at heart. I grew up in Malaysia. So not far from where you are. We were just discussing this earlier that I have a lot of family in Melbourne as well. And in fact, I uh, did get engaged in Melbourne. So definitely uh, love where you are and, and a little bit jealous, have to say. <laughs> With the white outdoors that you have. Um, but you know, I grew up in Malaysia. Um, tradition, I want to say a mix of, I like to say this, a mix of traditional, but liberal upbringing with parents that, um, definitely always pushed the potential in me. And, uh, you know, some Chinese parents, even still to today, you know, there is a perception that the boy is more important, uh, that if there's a role in the family for the family business, he would get the inheritance and he would be the CEO, uh, the, girl might be the CFO, but she wouldn't be the main character of the story. So that was an interesting um, upbringing for me where I had the, you know, good fortune of having fantastic parents that just wanted us both as individuals to uh, be the very best. Um Unfortunately, this was not always the case all around me. So I did have uh, certain, I would say, uh, resistance that I felt go- growing up as an ambitious young woman, and that's where I guess part of the story comes uh, to be for me today because, you know, I was told as a young girl that I was too ambitious, uh, wanting to get into senior leadership and things like that, but um, persisted and it's become part of my story, which um, inspires me till today because I still see this, unfortunately, despite this day and age, 2021, 20, you know, uh, women are still... Uh, limited in in certain areas. I grew up in a Muslim majority country that is Malaysia, where um, being ambitious and sometimes being outspoken may be a bad thing, um, and that certainly shaped a lot of who I am today. Because uh, I recognize how important it is for everyone to have a voice and for that to be heard. Um, and yeah, long story short, I went to law school in in Kings uh, because of that as well. About you know hearing getting your voice heard and. Um, communications was something that I I definitely enjoyed and believe in as um, an important medium to um, sort of bring the the messages into the world right so you know it's it's how the messages are heard I think that's super important Um, and was encouraged by my father to go and pursue law in in kings um, and soon after got hooked Uh, With the bug of entrepreneurship, I started the business club that got me onto the route of business and realizing that I was too um, excited by the notion of business beyond just the practice of law itself. I still respect it very much as a career, but I wanted to be the CEO, uh, making those decisions and not just facilitating those decisions. Um, And, um, yeah, I essentially went back after a while to Malaysia I uh, ran my family business because unfortunately, my my father was ill at the time. Uh, that got me my start into business, realizing how humbling it can be running your own business. And um, yeah, not long after I joined uh, Sime Darby, which is an Asian conglomerate also in Australia. Um, and... Uh, was part of the venture capital team so that got me on venture capital uh, before this I, I you know I knew all of it but I didn't know the depths of it and really enjoyed it as a career. but then you know after my father passed and you know I was throwing myself into my work really um, realized that there weren't really many women around me that I could look up to. And along the way, started a nonprofit movement because of this, right? So what started as a coffee session, just like this, um, back back in when we had physical in-person meetings, you know, I had a coffee <laughs> with one of my friends and said, you know, this, I, I'm not seeing the women in in places of leadership where they should be. Um, and she felt the same way. And she was a Muslim, she is a Muslim woman as well, who had different pressures of partners and we connected and then say, let's do something about it. And that got, got us started into feminism. So I became an accidental feminist in that way. Uh, started Lean in Malaysia, which is now a 7,000 movement of men and women that are educating, enabling and empowering women into leadership. So I was doing this while, you know, having my day job as a VC. And long story short, after a couple of years... Um, You know, while I was visiting my portfolio companies in the US, I met my husband along the way and we decided, okay, DC is going to be, you know, the best for both of us. And I had to frankly hustle in the last couple of years moving to DC from Malaysia. Right. So, I, you know, from the story, uh, the the short summary of it, I, I didn't really have the link to the United States. I didn't go to school here or things like that. Um So I had to hustle for the last couple of uh, years. And, um, you know, I I think let your passion guide you has always been my mantra as well. What you believe in, you know, and and then you attract that into your life. And I'm grateful with a fortunate uh, twist of fate. I met my co-founder, who was at that time brewing up an idea for the Billion Dollar Fund for Women. And, uh, you know, I was still searching for what next for me. And when I connected with her and we talked about the gender venture funding gap, I think we were um, really aligned. It was like a mind melt. And that was the beginning of me merging my two passions, which is venture capital and um, women in leadership. So what I do now, I guess, in summary for for the audience is, you know, I'm a co-founder of the Billion Dollar Fund for Women also known as Beyond the Billion right now, where we're a global consortium of over 90 funds. So these are venture capitalists and the investors into those VC firms that have committed and are deploying over a billion dollars into female founders globally to address the gender venture funding gap. So back then when you know when I connected with my co-founder, Shelly, it was uh, 2.2% of all venture capital funding going to female founders in 2017. So we launched 2018. And yeah, we've made great progress since then um, with, you know, um, a lot more deployed. But the COVID situation has certainly thrown a spanner in the works. So, you know, we've uh, regressed and and I'm concerned. The market is concerned about where we are. But uh, yeah, that's where I am. So um, investor, executive, strategist, um, all of the above and passionate about getting female founders funded and uh, fueling women's ambition influence and you know power at the end of it all
0: oh oh my goodness sarah you are just you're just so awesome your story is so fascinating and although you know all of our peers out there listening can't see me i've been nodding my head and listening very <laughs> intently because this is just all so yeah just so interesting so I kind of want to take a bit of a step back and take us to those early days and, you know, you said that in Malaysia for you growing up, being ambitious as a woman was kind of seen as a bad thing. You know, how did you, it, take us back to the early days of Sarah, you know, how did you navigate those times when you were in high school and then heading, deciding to head to London to go to King's College, you know, how did you really manage during that time, and and I guess keep going even though your society was telling you you're way too ambitious. Stop.
1: Yeah, thanks for that. You know, I think as as I was reflecting on on my childhood, I, I had a very unique childhood. So I guess the piece that I missed out in that is that I was a child TV host. For seven years. So at the age of nine, <laughs> I auditioned and got into a <laughs> national TV uh, gig where it was an entertainment program every Sunday, you know, before the Sunday cartoons. This is way before Netflix. So you're actually watching the TV set and, you know, you would have kids on Sunday <laughs> watching TV and chilling out with their parents, things like that. So that was a very unique space for me because I I was pushed to be more confident as well with who I was. Um, you know, I was in front of the TV all the time and making, you know, in front of the camera and had to show up uh, memorizing my script. I was interviewing archaeologists. I was interviewing, I remember general, the general manager of Dutch Lady. Uh, and that really left an impression of me on me. I, I was, you know, on on scene at events and reporting on that and the hottest bugs, the hottest, t- uh, you know, computer games back in the day. So that actually pushed me, I guess, to be more confident myself, which I wasn't in the beginning. Um, but that was a, a sacred space where I could be more than what perhaps society um on a day-to-day basis accepted in some way because it's it's a little bit of a bubble. So that was unique. And I I got to, at the age of 16, go to Brazil and speak about the rights of children in deciding the media that they consume and things like that, right? So, um, yeah, so I I guess I was lucky in that. um, And I had that unique opportunity and bubble to be more of myself. Um, It took a while, of course, as I think with many young girls to find your voice and hone into that voice. And it was the same for me. Um, I had a lot of rejections growing up um, from, I remember scholarships, right? So that was one thing, you know, for a Malaysian kid to study abroad. That's the goal, I guess, maybe a Malaysian Asian kid, right? So a little bit of, of my societal const- construct there because the Malaysian education system um, back then or even still now, there's still, I guess, an, an aspiration for Uh, your kids to go and study abroad. Like that's a point of pride and it sets you up for for the future. So and so forth. Um, And I I was rejected from a lot of uh, scholarship applications, things like that. And I did interviews where um, part of the feedback was, I don't think you're a fit. And, you know, now that I'm older, I sort of understand what that is. And there's a lot of layers to it, right? So when you unpack in an interview, when someone says you're not a fit, what does that mean? That means, um, you know, They don't see you in the organization. I think, you know, perhaps it's fine because you do want to create an environment where everyone can work together and there is a certain culture that you have to fit into. But beyond that, the negative side of it, there's also biases, right? Because young women, young girls are never socialized to be outspoken, to be confident, to be, um, you know, I think that's an ad, a perfect ad that was going around um, a couple of years ago by I want to say Pantene, where they put a vision of a, uh, they put an image of a man speaking on a podium and then a woman and it's the CEO who's visionary. But when a woman speaks, it's, it's aggressive and assertive in a negative way. Right and and I I felt that growing up because um you know I always imagined if it was my brother who was saying these things in the way that I said it uh, of course there's a difference between being rude and being uh, visionary right so you know you want to have a fine balance of that but um yeah I certainly experienced that growing up and uh, was have become very aware of it um but I guess how I how I dealt with it in the early days you know I I did have moments of weakness where I would. After 20, I think 20 scholarship rejections, I went back to my dad and said, am I not supposed to be the way I am? And, you know, I was bawling my eyes out, that sort of thing as a young girl, you question yourself. But these days, I think, you know, I I see that as, as part of progress, right? You know, you need to hurt. There's a part of you that that hurt that builds you up and makes you realize that, hey, this is not the world that I want. And, uh, I've taken that all in stride and part of, I guess my journey, even as a young girl was, uh, yeah, you know, if, if I may say it, you know, bad things happen Oh shit happens. Edit this out of it if you like. Um, but you know, you move on despite it, you will not even till today. I, I think, you know, um, you will be for some people, but not for everyone. And you accept that, but you try to surround yourself with uh, positivity. And, um, you know, part of what's inspired my work is this, right? It's, um, I never want a young girl to feel the way I felt when I was growing up.
0: It's just, it's so true. And it's so inspiring. I think so many of us, feel we just feel like we're way too we're almost maybe overstepping or we're too ambitious or maybe that that job we should just maybe not apply unless we've got all these credentials and we fit absolutely everything you know when you got to King's college in London, you know, and you were kind of out of the family home and you were out of that uh, Malaysia where, where that mindset was a bit different there. And, you know, did you feel a shift? And if so, how did you embrace that or kind of allow yourself to embrace that when you were obviously not very used to it? You know, growing up, it seems to me that it was always a negative thing. When did that shift for you? And how was... How did your time at King's shape you?
1: I'm glad you asked that, actually. So going to King's, um, as I look back on my life now, is really fundamental and and foundational in in who I am today, because as you said, you know, for a child uh, living in a bubble in a society that is very different uh, and then going into sort of being taken out of that comfort zone or sort of, you know, you think about. I, I like to think about it as, you know, you were put in, it's just like a, a fish in a fishbowl, and then you're you, you, you were put into a bigger bowl. And that's exactly what I went through, right? Where London, is, as you know it, it's a completely different construct. I mean, it's competitive as hell. Uh, I was pushed to my limits, really. And, and that really uh, was a breakthrough couple of years for me, I have to say, because I realized then that, hey, you know, the world is my oyster. I realized that, okay, maybe um, there are certain pockets of the world in Malaysia and and that's changing now. Right. So I love, you know, Malaysia and and it's it's a big part of who I am. So it's not to speak ill of the society. But I think there are ways that uh, we're continuing to progress and, 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 you know, be a little bit more um, open minded in terms of, gender and expectations and things like that so things are changing but uh for me it was the realization that hey okay there are pockets in society that may not be for you but check this out check this globe out right and in london in fact i was challenged by my professor i remember this like because i was always a straight a student i was valedictorian whatever ticking all the boxes right so typical asian asian kid you know uh (laughs) whatever i could excel in i would right like that was just me And um, in London, I remember I was struggling to get my first class for my law essays. And I went to my professor and I said, Professor, what's going on here? I think, you know, I've covered all the bases. It feels like this could be a first class essay. And he said to me, Sarah, this is great. You know, this is like a upper class, right? Upper class um, essay. But what's missing here is critical thinking. And if I think back on my childhood and and everything that we've talked about, you know, uh, today as well, it's the conditioning that you're brought up with to to think a certain way, right? So for me, I excelled by regurgitating. Uh, so I, I'm a, even till today, I can memorize a script and you know that will go on for the next hour or, or uh, you know two hours, whatever. I'll be I'll be there. But the critical thinking part was where I felt was missing because I haven't been pushed to do to think in that way right so it was um in law school that i was really pushed to think more critically to bring in my original thought what is that right uh so that was exciting and uh, i was lucky in that um i also was put in an environment where uh, i think for me going to king's was um sort of the opening of my walls because I wanted to experience things as well. I had, you know, three years in university, let's maximize this experience. So uh, while I would be the cheerleader, which I was, I was a flyer in Kings, I would also spend my evenings uh, running the business club. So I, I was lucky enough to meet a group of individuals who were entrepreneurial and thinking about Um, how can we use you know the university experience and build entrepreneurship within that so I became the uh president I I built the club on the uh you know from the ground up and became the president in the third year but that showed me that hey you know what as a Malaysian girl as an ambition ambitious Malaysian girl there are people that would welcome you because that's a skill set that helps you in the world and and um you know, we grew to be quite a big movement. And a lot of those skills that I practiced in Kings is, I, I even use it today in my work, right? It's about stakeholder management. It's about how do you influence people? How do you communicate a message? How do you bring people along with you in your journey? And I always work with people that are better than me. You know, I'm, I'm never the smartest person in the room and uh, that has helped me tremendously. And in Kings, because there was such a, huge amount of talent all around the world, right? So there are people, you know, one of my best friends uh, was from Denmark. He was brought up in a different way. And the diversity, which is really what I believe in, that diversity of thought, that melting pot that is London was just, uh, you know, it's such a great experience to, to show me what was possible. And that's influenced me greatly in thinking about um, even what I do, right? So, you know, instead of playing it small, uh, or thinking within just a single Malaysian context, I think global, no matter what I do. And, and that's helped me tremendously. So definitely a big part of uh, my story. And, and I'm very grateful to Kings and it's definitely a plug for them. They've been great for me. So
0: I love it. Oh, my goodness, Sarah, I absolutely love this. A question I've got for you is, you know, for those of us who perhaps we couldn't leave our child where we grew up and perhaps for us it was we went to university in the same city or whatever it may be or we're working in the same kind of environment we grew up in, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening around Putting ourselves out there, putting ourselves in uncomfortable positions so that we can actually start to realize who we are and more so than that, actually grow into who we're gonna become.
1: That's a great angle. And and certainly, you know, I, I appreciate that. I think, you know, my experiences as well come with a position of privilege, right? Like you said, not everyone gets the opportunity, leave it, but work hard for opportunities that you want. And I think, you know, a lot of us, um, we can start from modest beginnings, but you know, it's, it's what we do in our lifetimes to, to change the generations after us. So that, that, that is certainly not lost on me. But I think if, you know, if I think back, even just in starting lean in Malaysia, right. So I I went back to the same society that told me I was uh, too ambitious. And what I did was I actually collected a group of great women who felt exactly, exactly the same way and built a movement. And I think, that applied to, I guess your question is what I would advise, which is, um, you know, I think we're all weird. I I think I'm a very weird person, but it's about finding um, the other weird people around you to be weird with, right? And I think that's the beauty about life and the great news about Society today as a whole, I think, is sure there are pockets which are a little bit more conservative and pockets which are way, way, way liberal. But, you know, the good news is that you can find your tribe, I think, uh, in many different ways. It might not be 10,000 people, but start with one and and build that uh, around you because I think we all do better with each other, with each other's support. And I would say, you know, find a tribe that you connect with. You know, there are certain things that, of course, you um, like I said, you know, there's a difference between being rude and being uh, ambitious and um, assertive and, and in a positive way, right. So you want to make sure that uh, you're approaching things in in a mature way as well. So I would always say take take stock of who you are, be so aware even of your flaws so that you can address it. But then from there, build people around you and uh, where you can, you know, create collective change because there's such a great power. In uh collective action, and I've seen that, right? So the billion dollar fund for women is built on that. We, you know, we're uh, a global consortium of many venture capitalists who decided that, hey, you know, what we're seeing in the Me Too movement is not okay. And uh what we're seeing with the great disparity and female founders not getting uh the funding they deserve is not okay. And we unite on that mission and build from it. So you know it might feel hard at first, I think there's always with change, there's always gonna be resistance um but if you believe in it enough, you know you you suck it up, you build uh the support systems around you, and you persist, nevertheless, she persisted right so um yeah, that's a long way of of answering your question, but I think there are ways to approach it, you know um, and to do it together. Mm-hmm.
0: The thing I love about you Sarah is your ability to build communities whether it's entrepreneurial whether you know it was you know in your early days at Kings or whether it is now with you know billions with the billion you know beyond the billion how can we what are the steps that we can take to start building communities that that I guess matter to us and you know, how did you really do it? I want to dive a bit deeper into um, either your college, you know, business club or building your company today. How? What were the steps that you really took to build those communities?
1: so it's funny when when you put it that way some days i ask myself the same thing <laughs> but really you know if if i go down to to the minute detail of it i, I and this is something that me my co-founder shelly porges really uh, believe in which is first you do what is possible and you keep going and you keep doing what's possible and then eventually you get to a point where you've done the impossible right and for us it's about having the bigger vision so you know, I, I have tremendous gratitude for uh, Shelly because she's always been the one that started. I mean, it was her idea of the billion dollar fund for women. And when I started, because you, if you think about where, where I came from, right, Malaysian kid and then went to London and didn't have a network in the US and just decided to come here and like built my life from scratch. And, <laughs> you know, in my 20s, Um I was at a point where I was not as confident of what I could bring to the table, frankly, but I said, I'm going to try, let me help you. Right. I have my network from Asia. And, uh, you know, if I look at about, if I look at that experience alone, it was okay. Um, just say yes, you know, to big dreams that you believe in. Right. So the billion dollar fund for women was something that connected the dots for me of venture capital women leadership was what I believed in. And then I looked at what I had around me. So um, the good, thing about women, as I've continued to see, frankly, is we are so resourceful. We are so resilient that um, sometimes if you look at what you have, you have so much more than you expect. And that was the case for me, right? So it was, who can I uh, bring together for this mission? And I called up people that I used to work with when I was a a CVC, a corporate venture capitalist, people that um, had Uh, even if it was passing relationships. And uh, I'm surprised that sometimes, you know, I I don't realize it, but the impression that you leave on people. So this is, I guess, a huge tip is never underestimate the power of your connections and that first impression and be kind to everyone because you never know um, how things will turn out. And I've you know, really seen that for my life, just because, um, I worked well with an analyst th- at that time. This person is now the managing director and this analyst remembered that I was helpful and, you know, whenever I now need help, this person's like, yeah, anything for you, Sarah, of course. Right. So I, I think it's, um, you know, look around you and you, you do what is possible and you keep doing what's possible towards a bigger dream. And, um, uh, That's how it happened because for me, it was me uh, dialing for dollars, calling people that I work with and starting from there. And we um, got great momentum because, first of all, the mission was, you know, very timely. I think uh, uh, there was a huge realization of what is needed in the market. So people rallied behind the idea. So the idea is certainly important. And then, of course, they commit because they trust in us that this is something that we will follow through on. Right. So. Um, yeah, I think it's um, being able to inspire those around you with the idea and then showing that you will follow through and that this in turn will help them because, you know, I I always say this, right? Investing in women is not charity. It is uh, about returns. You know, we are a business case in itself and I I, I hate even positioning it because it's 50% of the population. When you're not investing in 50% of the population, that is a risk. Um, But, you know, this is still the case. And, um, you know, the partners that we've linked up with that took a chance on me when I when we were just starting the idea have continued to see good results. Right. So it's not just um, about the big talk. It's about the walk as well. And, and as they deployed their capital, they are seeing tremendous results from female founders, even through COVID. Right. Because, as I said, we're resourceful, we're resilient. Um, so they've done actually startups have done better uh, from a cash management standpoint. During a time of crisis, where uh, you know they've been smart about finances, so that they can weather the storm.
0: Weathering that storm so important. (laughs) A question I've got for you is: How can we get better at building those genuine relationships?
1: It's a great question, and I think you know it starts from. I don't know. I think just being being um, genuine in, in your intentions, I never come to, you know, and in, in, frankly, in DC, the, some of the things that threw me off in the beginning was, you know, what is your last name and what do you do? They don't really care who you are. And I think the way that I've been as a person is uh, I, I hate the transactional. I think it's, I think it's important for business to know like where you stand, but I think you, Even I I think about um, one of my, I want to say my best advisors right now, he's, you know in his he'll kill me for saying this but he's in his 60s you know <laughs> going on 70 i want to say but he was the cfo that we invested in when i was a 25 26 year old uh on the other side of the line before zoom and before video conferencing and i was negotiating and he thought i just did a good job and he kept in touch with me and now he's like one of my best advisors on and, and we talk very often he's become a true friend and that's because, I, I don't know, I, I came to that relationship not, I don't know, um, expecting uh, more, not expecting less, but just being who I am and um, that realizing that impressions matter so he admired my work ethic even as i was a young naive 20 something that you know was working on her first 30 million dollar deal uh Mm. you know but I, i took it very seriously and um yeah you know i think that carries on so people see that right so i think um, even now I'm in, mean, I'm a young global leader of the World Economic Forum and it's a great network, right? I mean, I, we have prime ministers in it. I'm, I'm, I'm in the badge with Prime Minister Santa Marine and all that. And, uh, it, you know, there is a, I, I think in a, networks like this, there might be a temptation to be transactional, to look at it from a business mm-hmm. perspective. But, uh, what I've continued to see, it's, it's, it's about lifelong friendship. And what you do might change, but the core of who you are, which is hopefully a, a kind person who wants, who has good intentions, you know, that doesn't go away and people see that. So um, I think I, I come to a relationship wanting to see how I can be helpful and to see this person for who they are, not, you know, the title that they have behind their name, because that matters, I think. And um, I think that's what I would say with uh, building genuine relationships by coming into it with uh, genuine intentions.
0: There you go. I couldn't (laughs) agree more. I want to talk a little bit about finding that inner confidence and inner voice. You know, you say that in building relationships and even just in business in general, you need to bring your whole self to the table. You have to see people for who they actually are. But it's often tough to do that when we're not okay with who we are. We don't really want people to see the real us. What advice would you give? Or was there a time for you that that shifted? And then kind of what advice would you give on that? How can we get better at being okay with who we are, figuring out who we actually are, and and putting ourselves out there?
1: So this is a, a tough one because, uh, and actually I, I, um posted on this recently on, on my social media, because that's something that people, you know, ask me a lot about. And, and coming from Asia, I have to say, there are different societies which just have different things. And, uh, you know, you take that with a, so take what I say with a <laughs> pinch of salt is what I'm saying. But it took even, it even took me a while because when I was growing up and, you know, everything that I've been through and even working in a conglomerate that frankly valued seniority more than merit, in, in a lot of Asian spots, it is like that, right? So your seniority matters, your title matters. Um, so you can literally say the same thing, but if the voice is from someone that doesn't look like me, that might be a better thing. Uh, so I struggle with that a little bit. When, when I was, uh, you know, in my first few years of working in corporate, I drew a boundary between who I was at work and who I was, in my personal life right which is carefree you know i i like partying you know i might be the one that's uh you know out late at night but then i'll show up at 8 a.m for the meeting on time but i don't want my boss to know that i was partying the night before because he might judge me differently uh, and we've all been there <laughs> but um <laughs> oh yeah yeah Um, You know, I I think it it takes time in the beginning. I I think there is a little bit to be said about, you know, sometimes some boundaries, because if you're young and starting out, you want to build that respect and credibility. So that does matter. But eventually I realized I was losing out so much more by not being my whole self. Right. Because it was like, you know, you have that sort of lump in your throat. I used to feel that a lot going to work, that lump in your throat where you're trying to hold your words back and things like that so that you're not seeing too abrasive or too opinionated or to have needs to have an opinion, things like that. So I did go through a moment of that. And, and then, you know, when I talk about what, what I'm losing out as well, it's, it's the, not only the sense of self that you could bring to the table, but it's also the relationships, right? So I had so many amazing coworkers that I resisted personal relationships with because I was just afraid of. Showing who I was, right? The full Sarah that was not the professional. Um, and I, I still regret that a little bit. I mean, I, you know, some of them I've continued to be friends. But in that moment, right, of being, you know, you we were working to like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I could have been uh, so much more myself where I felt I was so con- controlled. Um, so I think it, it's it's a little bit of a journey. I think you find your voice eventually and you, you understand the balance. Um, but what's been key, I think, is to... First, I think you hit on the nail then the beginning, Michelle, which is to first accept who you are and uh, including your flaws, because then when someone calls you out on your flaws, you know, your answer to that is, yeah, I know I'm working on it next. So it's not going to be such a soft spot that people are going to sort of dig into. Right. So, yeah, I think it's a journey. It takes time. It takes uh, experience. But, um, you know, have faith that um, everyone else is going through. The outward journey. And uh, it's about us hopefully going through that journey together.
0: I absolutely love it. This is just so, so amazing. <laughs> I'm holding on to every last word. Oh, look, Sarah, you and I could talk for days. I've got a couple, as we start to wrap up, I've got a couple final questions for you. The first one is what were some of the early challenges you faced really trying to get the billion dollar fund for women off the ground. You know, you said that you were reaching out to your network. You just moved to the, you know, to the U.S. out of nowhere. It was all happening for you. What were those early challenges and how did you navigate them?
1: So I think the early challenges for me was... um, I guess just being confident about this whole big thing, right? This big idea. Uh I mean, Shelley jokes that because we had literally two, you know, I met her, I want to say sometime in late summer, August or something. And then in October, we were to show up 11th of October at the World Bank meetings in Bali to launch this thing. And we promised wow. them, you know, we'll come with at least a hundred million. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll, I'll sign up for this, but my reputation's on the line, like I'm an unknown entity in the, in the US, right? So this all matters. So I, I of course I was a little bit unsure, but, um, the good news is, you know, we work so well as a team and we leaned on each other. I think that's super important. So choosing the right co-founder totally matters in what you're trying to do. Um, and, you know, we continue to be um, an A-team, I like to think, working through the hard stuff that's been ups and downs, even from the beginning, right, um, in trying to change a system, really. I think <laughs> when you're trying to change uh, a well-ingrained system, that's going to be hard regardless. So uh, certainly we came up with folks that uh, thought this was not important, you know, so I won't name names, mm-hmm. but that, oh, wait a minute. When I evaluate a female founder and a male founder, it's equal. But then when we look at the portfolio companies, there's not a single founder on there. And there's a reason, right? Because the question is not, what does it take when this person is through your door? But what does it take to first get to your door, right? Mm-hmm. And and then you can evaluate that equally. And, and the problem is not, I, I never believe it's a pipeline issue. I believe it's an access issue. And this is why we need to invest in women and people of color, because just, you know, talking about even just my background, right? How am I um different from everyone else? And what is the unique lens that we bring to the table? It comes from our circuitous journeys. And uh, I, I think uh it's it's certainly been, been the case for me and um you know it's it's about persisting despite the rejection i think by uh by now rejection still hurts but i'm i take it as just part of the process you know if you're going to be out there if you're selling something if you're selling an idea and, and by the way we're always selling something right whether that's a narrative whether that's who we are things like that so um if you're out there in the market and you're working with people, there will be rejection. You know, you like I always believe you will be for some, but not for everyone. But you start with what is possible and you keep building on that. And that was the case for us as well. You know, we started with a, a few key influences and I have to say, you know, what's been really critical to our journey and our just tremendous growth was it wasn't just us alone of course you know i, I never attribute my success only to how great i am or, or how great shelly is it is about the people that we had around us and we continue to have around us uh, i give an example in in canada we essentially uh, met this lady lali Ramantia, who you know was already plugged into the canadian ecosystem and she loved the idea and she just said well uh can i Mentioned this to a couple of people and let me bring a couple of people, you know, when you when you're here and and let's just talk about it. And from there, uh, we through her through her connections, her standing, of course, you know, in the Canadian ecosystem, we were able to onboard a lot of people. So that's something to be said with working with people who know uh, the ecosystem and the landscape because we're a global consortium. And I mean, if you're thinking about sort of the global aspect of brands, and if you're trying to build a global company, you know that you alone can't uh, expand as quickly. You need to rely on people. And it's about finding the best people to represent you and to be that storyteller for you, right? So think about ambassadors, think about deputies, what, whatever you name it, right? And um, that was really how we really leveraged our relationships to get to where we are so quickly and... Uh, We always did the thing of, okay, who else should we speak to at the end of a call, right? So the power of referrals is so important and being smart about positioning yourself for the next thing. I I think that's key. So we were always um, expanding our reach. There were, by the end of it, you know, there's so many funds now that I may not have known otherwise, but uh, with the power of our referral uh, system within the network, that was how we grew. And I, I think that's really key to our success.
0: So amazing. Oh my goodness, Sarah. Look, over the last few years in business, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've received so much recognition for your work. Most notably, you were featured on the Forbes City Under 30 list, Wall Street Journal, and the United Nations, just to name a few. Um, you're also obviously a recognized speaker on VC and Women in Leadership. What are three key pieces of advice? that you'd give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out?
1: Ooh, this is a tough one because I, you know, frankly, I, I like to think it that way, but um, you know, like what I wish I knew, right. That, that sort of question, but sometimes um, it might not be a useful exercise because at that I always believe you know what you know and at that point in time you will always be making the best decisions based on what you know so never feel like oh i should have done it like i never live life in regret uh that's that's never my style and i think that's not a useful <laughs> way to think about one's life um but you know if there's any advice out there if you're going through the thick of things and it's it's tough uh which which Frankly, I hate to put it this way, but life is full of ups and downs. It's never up all the way. And and sometimes I, I feel that way about myself where it's like, oh, when is that moment of complete breakthrough, right? Where, you know, I, I'm free and like there's nothing to worry about. But if you're working on something important, um, there will be ups and downs. And, and you have to accept that as part of the process. But I think one thing I would say to peers out there is to enjoy the process. Um, things in life. And especially for ambitious people like me, and I know there are a lot of ambitious ones listening in in your audience here, Michelle, and and you yourself as well. We're so impatient with ourselves. Uh, We want certain things quickly. And sometimes, which is the case for me, you know, it took a little bit longer than I expected. But hey, life is long. Your career is going to be longer than you think. So uh, don't kill yourself in the process. Be kind and gentle to yourself. Because if you think about, Who you're investing in right you are the temple and you want to be respecting that temple and because your potential is is really the the mental space you're in the physical agility that you're in i I believe in that you know we're all mind body and soul so you want to make sure that you're taking your it's so cliche but it's so important uh, that you take care of yourself along the way and, and smell the roses because um, also life goes by a lot quicker than you expect if, uh, you know, if you have kids, uh, they grow up very quickly and you want to enjoy that. You know, the moments where your kid really wants to spend time with you goes by very quickly. So, uh, you know, take your career as part of life, but don't rush it. And, um, you know, awards and and I've, I've been lucky enough to be recognized um, and awards and all you know external recognition is important but that's not the be all and end all it's what do you do with that it's now i have this platform what can i do further and how can i be of service so yeah enjoy the process smell the roses dance a little you know party it a little and live a loud life i, I you know that's me right i think we have this one life you know you want to play it big uh the, the risk is what you know you don't get it but at least you tried you don't want to live a life of regret so i'm all for playing it big and living a loud life and sometimes it's chaos my husband says i'm a hurricane but um you know this is what you signed up for honey so too bad <laughs> Owning it, owning it. <laughs> exactly, yeah.
0: <laughs> I love it, Sarah. Look, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the brilliant work you've done and that you're doing, for showing us and particularly us women and women of colour that we can do it, you know. It's okay to be ambitious and we can put our hands up and make it happen for ourselves and for that we really appreciate you.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I so appreciate that.
0: Amazing. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about?
1: Hmm. What is the value of pursuing the thing that you're most passionate about? So I have to say, pursuing your passion and this is my, a little bit of my Asian and bringing it it is a privilege right so not everyone has that opportunity but if you do and you do have this privilege you you better go chase after it because again as i said you you don't want to live a life of regret you have this one life and the moment that you can merge your passion with um you know what you're spending your day to day you know my mom ingrained this in me if you're going to be working at least nine to five uh, do you want to be the secretary which is an important job and i totally respect it but do you want to be the secretary or ceo and i challenge everyone out there that's tuning in to be the ceo of your life right and to do the hard thing to do the big thing because the world is better for it and if we have i i personally is as a millennial i believe in this that when you lean into your passion and you feel alive, doing uh what you truly believe in and that's not to say it will be easy and it, you know you can even be frustrated when you're pursuing your passion so uh, that's not to say you're choosing you're, you're copying out but you you're choosing what you believe in um keep going and, and that matters because um you know who you are in your work and pursuing your passion shows up in every part of life and you don't want to be that miserable person doing something that you don't want to be doing for the next 10, 20 years. So be brave. It's going to be hard to choose your passion and own own it. Um, but it's worth it.
0: <laughs> it's worth it. Oh, so amazing, Sarah. This has been so awesome. Where can people learn more about you and the billion dollar fund for women?
1: Thanks, Michelle. Well, everyone can follow me on social media, and I'm on Clubhouse and all of the above. Instagram at Sarah Chen Global. So it's Sarah with the H. And Beyond the Billion is beyondthebillion.com. And I'd love to hear from all of you. And thanks for having me, Michelle.
0: Amazing. Of course. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer, and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion. And it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, Peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.